As you fix your eyes on Luke chapter 7, I'm excited to be here, Pam and I are. I shared with your pastor back in his study before we came out, we had prayer, and I was sharing with him that I, I believe, I can say this with authority, that uh, since I know me better than anybody else does, that in 46 years of ministry, I've never prayed more and studied harder for a revival than I have this one. Uh, God put it on my heart when the pastor asked me to do this. I started praying then that God would do a work here this week that would stir not only this church, but this county, and eventually the state. And We need revival in the land. And I, I just want to say a couple of things in preparation for the rest of the week. First of all, how many of you would really, really join me in having an old-fashioned anointing falling of God in this church and have a real revival? How many of you would really like that happen? Now, I hope everybody could raise their hand, because if you couldn't, you're the very ones that need to get up here in the altar this morning. Now, since you are all committed to having a real revival this week, there are a few things you need to do. Number one, some of you already, the devil's trying to talk you out of being back for another service, not even tonight. You need to just say, Satan, get behind me. And you need to make a commitment right now to be in every service this week if you really want to have revival. You need to also get lost people here. And people say to me all the time, Brother Sid, why don't people get saved in revivals like they used to? It's because saved people don't get lost people in there. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Can I tell you something? I'm not a real smart man, but I guarantee you they're not going to get saved sitting at home watching American America's Got Talent or a Braves baseball game. But if you get them in these pews where people have been praying for revival and they're under the Holy Ghost movement of God and the preaching of the word of God, some of them are going to get saved. So I'm asking you to do whatever you got to do to get them here, and we'll see people get saved. And then thirdly, search your own heart and make sure you're where you need to be in your relationship with Christ. And if not, get it right, and then we can see something happen in you. And if it happens in you, it'll happen in your neighbor and everybody else. Promise me. I promise you that can happen. Uh, I apologize for sitting during the worship time. I didn't. You know, many of you know I was in a bad wreck several years ago. I have a bad back. Well, the old devil, Tuesday, I was walking through the house, and it went out. And it, I nearly went to the floor. And, uh, but I went to the chiropractor a couple of times, and I've kept doing what I need to do with heat and ice, and it's pretty good. But I just don't want to push it, so I stay seated. And I'm uh, getting up and down, and the only time I don't hurt is when I preach. That's just the anointing of God. That's all I can explain when I say that. But we're going to have a good time this week in the Lord, and I hope you came prepared to have that happen. And I hope you uh, will pray for us as we preach, and you'll do your part. If we all do our parts, something can happen this week that only heaven can explain. That's enough of that. In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, And it came to pass the day after that he, speaking of Jesus, went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him, and much people. Now when they came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. He was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. 
And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier. The bier is a casket. And they that bear him, the pallbearers, stood still. The title of my sermon this morning is The Day Jesus Fired Six Pallbearers. And they that bear him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all. They glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Now, I'm pretty sure when you awakened this morning, you didn't come to church thinking you'd be coming to a funeral. Well, that is the case. I want you to pay attention to what I'm going to talk about. Years ago, I was pastor of the Sage Avenue Baptist Church down in Mobile, Alabama. The predecessor, my predecessor, had been there 30 years. It's a very difficult thing following a man been in a church, and he was a legend. And he'd been there 30 years. And he had a brother who was a preacher also. And his brother died, and I was a part of the service, the funeral service. In fact, I did most of it. And it was one of those unusual services where you have it at the funeral home, and then you get in a procession, and you've got to drive a long ways to get to the cemetery for the burial. In fact, it was all the way across the state, in Dothan, Alabama. It was that far, four and a half hour drive. I didn't have any idea how long it was going to take us, and I didn't think we were going to ever get there. And finally, when we reached our destination, the cemetery, and turned off the main road into the cemetery, there was a sign, a road sign there, which read, Dead End. And I thought to myself, there's never been a more appropriately placed sign in all of my life. Dead end. Death is kind of a dead end for us. It's, it's kind of a difficult subject for us to consider because it disturbs us. You see, death is the end of life here on earth as we know it. And when death comes, it ushers in for us a lot of emotions and considerations that no other situation broaches. It's a time of parting and a, a time of grief. It demands compassion and care and ministry and loving upon neighbors and friends and relatives, the family. It's a visible and emotional reminder that life is fragile and, as the Bible says, but as a vapor. We're only here for a short season and then we're gone. We're forced to recognize that it comes to all of us, and we need to be ready when it comes. Now, we need to recognize that when we die without Christ, that grave that we're headed to becomes a passageway to eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. So our text today, I think, shows us some important lessons about 
the subject of death and our preparation before death comes. So I want us to study it carefully in these next moments. I want to begin, if you will, this morning with an investigation of the situation. Now pay attention to what your Bible says here. It says the Lord, if you read prior to this, was just in a certain place where he healed a centurion's servant. And now he begins to journey toward this little town called Nain. Nain was about six miles from Nazareth and a day's journey from Capernaum. And this is the only time in all your Bible this little town is ever mentioned. It tells us that Jesus and his followers arrived just in time to meet head-on with a funeral procession. Now, this funeral procession was not unlike a modern-day funeral procession. They still had a funeral service in one place, and then they would journey to the burial place to bury the body, generally a cemetery of some type. The only real difference from them in that day and us in this day, where we would load up in automobiles or cars and go, they had to walk. But it was still a funeral procession. Now, all areas of Palestine were surrounded by walls. And entry and exit were made into that city through a small passageway, a gate. And it tells us, Luke tells us here, that Jesus and his followers approached that gate. And this funeral procession was coming out of the gate. Now, get your heads wrapped around that for a moment. As this funeral procession would come through the gate, they would be led probably by the priest. Following the priest would be that widow, the boy's mother, surrounded by siblings or perhaps her best friends trying to comfort her and help her to make it to the cemetery. And then behind her and her group would come the pallbearers bearing this boy's body in a beer, a casket, toward the cemetery, the grave, the place of burial. And behind them would come all the friends and family who had come to the service and who wanted to be a part of the final parting there in the graveyard. It was truly a funeral procession. Passers-by would stop and perhaps move their head coverings out of respect. Children would stop their playing. Workers would cease their labors. Here was a visual reminder that someone had died, that life was over. They were processing to the cemetery. They were going to the graveyard, the grave, the place of death, to bury the body. It reeks of finality. All hope is gone. There's nothing else anybody can do. He's dead. We've had his service. Now we've got to bury him. They were truly on a dead-end street. Now, every one of us, just like this young man, hear me. Every one of us, just like this young man, are headed for a scene just like this. We're given life, we're allowed to live, and we die. We're all marching toward death. We're on a serious journey toward the grave and death. And what we need to understand here is that at some point 
in all of our lives, there are some sure and certain pallbearers who are going to come alongside us and pick us up and begin to move us toward the grave, death, and hell. So I want us to think about that this morning. We've had an investigation of the situation. Now let me turn to an introduction of these six pallbearers this morning. Just like today, they had six. They would have three on each side of this young man's casket, carrying it toward the cemetery. Their assignment would be to lift and carry the body to the place of death, of burial. That's pretty much what happens to us in a spiritual sense. From the time we're born, there's some pallbearers who pick us up and begin to carry us toward the grave, death, and hell. There are those things that come alongside us and begin that journey. So I want to introduce you this morning to the six pallbearers who were bearing this boy's body toward the grave, death, and hell. On the front right, I introduce you this morning to the first pallbearer. His name is Mr. Sin. Mr. Sin didn't have to come very far for this funeral service. You see, he was already there. He'd been a part of this boy's nature from the day he was born. And he had worked full time. In fact, he had worked overtime to make sure he could deliver this boy to the place of death. You see, sin is that that separates us from the Lord God. And Mr. Sin only had one purpose. And that purpose was to deliver this boy's soul to the devil and hell. There's no escaping Mr. Sin. Every one of us, every one of us sooner or later are going to do personal business with a pallbearer called Mr. Sin. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. From the moment you're old enough to understand right from wrong, the pallbearer called Mr. Sin has lifted you up and moved you toward the place of death. In every church service where I preach, there's somebody sitting there listening to Mr. Sin whisper in their ear and tell them, you're going to have to give up too much if you get saved. You're not ready to be saved. You don't want to be saved. There's too much life to live. And the whole time he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard toward the grave, death, and hell. On the front left, I introduce you to the second Paul Bear. His name is Mr. I've Got More Time. Mr. I've Got More Time is a close working associate with Mr. Sin. He was strutting on this day, though, you see. This was a young boy, just a teenage boy. He didn't have to work too long on him. He was boasting, mission accomplished, mission accomplished. He was boasting because this was an easy catch. This boy died young. Mr. I've Got More Time is a constant companion to whisper in your ear any time you consider salvation. Hey, listen to me. That's a good thing, and you need to do it. You really need to be saved, but let me tell you something. You've got plenty of time. Watch your hurry. Why don't you sow the rest of those wild oats? Why don't you experience the other side of life before you do it? You've got plenty of time. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The truth is, you don't have a guarantee that you're going to live out the day. This morning, when you opened your Sunday paper, if you get it, there's a section in there called the obituary. 
Those names listed there three days ago had no idea that today somebody somewhere would be attending their funeral. Beware, Mr. I've got more times lurking. He's telling you to wait the whole time, the whole time. He's telling you to hold on in every church service where I preach. There's somebody sitting there listening. Mr. I've got more time whispering in their ear. Look, you do need to get saved. He's preaching truth. He's telling you what you need to do. You've got plenty of time, though. Not today. Not today. You've got plenty of time. And the whole time he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard toward the grave, death, and hell. I now introduce you to our third pallbearer. He's in the middle on the right side. His name is Mr. Pride. He chose that position on the casket. You see, he's a subtle old boy. He prefers to work privately and behind the scenes. He tells you that if you get saved, you'll be embarrassed. It's embarrassing to openly confess the Lord Jesus. He said, there's no need for you to go before your church and confess Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And hey... Let's not even talk about that believer's baptism stuff. You don't need to do that to be saved. He does everything he can do to convince you that your faith should remain private and not public. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll confess me before men. It's a hard thing for me to believe that some people will allow Mr. Pride to bear them to the place of death. In every church service where I preach, there's somebody there listening to the pallbearer called Mr. Uh, Pride whispering in their ear, Look, if you walk down that aisle, you'll be humiliated. It's embarrassing to go before the church. You don't need to do that. And the whole time, he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard to the grave, death, and hell. On the middle left, I introduce you to the Paul Bear, Mr. Lost Church member. He's another one of those subtle beings. Mr. Lost Church member concentrates on those who somewhere along the way joined the church, but never did personal business with the Lord Jesus. Or maybe they went forward during vacation Bible school because all their friends did. Or maybe grandmama or mama told them it was time for them to be saved, and they thought they ought to walk down there and satisfy them. Or maybe it was some high-brow evangelist who tricked them down the aisle with some artificial appeal. The truth is, they did walk the aisle. The truth is, they did sit on the front pew. The truth is, they filled out a card. The truth is, they were voted in the church. The truth is, they took them through the baptistry. But nowhere in that journey did they ever have a personal experience with the Lord Jesus where they repented of sin and prayed a sinner's prayer. And now they sit in the church pew counterfeit Christians and they've been there for years and years and years and Mr. Lost Church member has convinced them they're okay. Can't remember time. Can't go back to a place where they experienced the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and genuinely repented of their sins. The Bible says you're saved by grace through faith. Not of works. And now Mr. Lost Church members bearing them to the place of death. Every church service where I preach, there's somebody sitting there listening to Mr. Lost Church member say to them, Hey, you're okay. You're okay. You've been here all this time. You're okay. Don't worry about it. And the whole time he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard to the grave, 
death and hell. Our fifth pallbearer on the back right is a man by the name of Mr. Good Works. Mr. Good Works is a flashy old boy. His area of expertise is to make sure everybody knows how genuine and kind and accommodating you are. He convinces you that all you need to do to be saved is just do good things. If you're good enough and do enough good things, he says, you'll surely get to heaven. There's no way a holy God would send a good person like you to an eternal hell. There are a lot of people today who are convinced that if they're good, if they pay their bills, they don't beat their spouse or children, don't kick the dog, they're going to make it to heaven one day. Well, my Bible says, for by grace are you saved by faith. It is the gift of God, not of works. You see, folks, listen to me. You can't do enough to get you to heaven. You can't buy enough to get you to heaven. You can't earn enough to get you to heaven. You can't manufacture enough to get you to heaven. You, you can't legislate a way to heaven. Mr. Good Works is wrong, but he's bearing many to the place of death. In every church service where I preach, there's somebody sitting there listening to Mr. Good Works tell them, Hey, you're good enough. People know you're good. God knows you're good. You're going to go to heaven. Surely he'll let you in. And the whole time he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard, to the grave, death, and hell. Our last pallbearer on the back left is a man by the name of Mr. False Hope. Perhaps he's the shrewdest of all six of the pallbearers. You see, he's constantly camouflaging the truth. He puts handsome, well-dressed, eloquent, high-profile persons on TV, radio, and sometimes even in a pulpit to preach a message of hope. But it's a false hope they preach. His strategies convince you that there are other ways to get to heaven other than Jesus Christ. My Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. Mr. False Hope and his crowd will tickle your ears. They'll slap you on the back and laugh behind that same back as they take you straight to the place of death. He's bearing millions to the place of death. In every church service where I preach, there's somebody sitting there listening, Mr. False Hope. Tell them they're secure, they're okay, not to worry about it in the whole time he's taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard to the grave death, and hell. What a sordid crowd. All of them are deceivers and liars. If you're saved today somewhere, you did business with them. But if you're not saved, they're all over you right now. It may be one of them. It may be two of them. It might be all six of them. But they've got you. You know they've got you. They're taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard, toward the grave death, and hell. Well, we had an investigation of the situation. We had an introduction to pallbearers. Now this is my sermon. Notice the interception of the Savior. Look at verse 11. Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, talking about Jesus, behold, there was a dead man carried out. Now I want you to get this. I want to notice Three fascinating things about the head-on collision here where true death meets true life. Jesus, first of all, three things. Number one, 
He came. Jesus came. Oh, this was not a perchance meeting. This was not a perchance meeting. Look at what it says. Luke said, The funeral procession was going through the gateway when Jesus and his crowd arrived. Now think about this. Had Jesus and his crowd gotten there two minutes earlier, they would have been through the gate and moving on into the city. And if the funeral procession had gotten there two minutes earlier, they would have been through the gate and on the way to the cemetery. But the Bible says they met head on in the city gate. Now here's the truth. The truth is, get this, the truth is, Jesus is right on time. Aren't you glad? He's always right on time. I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you glad that Jesus was willing to step out of glory and come down this earth to live and die on the cross and be resurrected so that he could meet us and deal with our pallbearers in our personal funeral procession as we're being born by the pallbearers toward the grave, death, and hell. It's a good thing. It's good news to know that Jesus is going to intercept us somewhere along the way. I'm thankful that Jesus came. Secondly, Jesus confronts. Look at verse 13. And he came and touched the bier. And they that carried stood still. Isn't it a good thing? It's good news to know that when Jesus intercepts your funeral procession, he's able to cause the pallbearers to freeze in their tracks. Oh, when Jesus shows up, Mr. Sin, Mr. I've Got More Time, Mr. Pride, Mr. Lost Church Member, Mr. Good Hope, or Good Works, and Mr. False Hope, stop and cease in their tracks. You see, they have no power when Jesus shows up. They've been in charge, but now there's a new boss in town. When Jesus tells the Paul Bears to stop, I want to just tell you what I think happens. Here we got old Bill over here, or Sue, or Joe, or Jill. It doesn't matter who they are. But what we have to understand is they're lost. The pallbearers have them. They're on their way to death. They're on their way to uh, death and hell. The pallbearers have got them. They're in their journey. And what we have to understand is that they're lost, they're dead, and they're on the way. But all of a sudden, here comes Jesus. And Jesus says, stop. Listen up, boys. And he looks over at Mr. Sin. He says, Mr. Sin... Old Bill here just got saved. That means his sins have been washed away by my blood. He's blood-bought, blood-washed, and born again. He's a new creature, and he belongs to me. Mr. Sin, your services are not needed here anymore. You're fired. And then he looks over and he says, Mr., I've got more time. I know your ways. I, I remember when you told the old rich man that he had plenty of time. In fact, you said it this way, to, to go and enjoy all of his goods. That's how it was, wasn't it? But you remember what happened? His soul was required of him. You told him to take ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But that night, he died, and all his wealth and all his goods didn't help him. Now, Sue here is giving her heart to me. She stopped listening to your lies. And now she's uh, answered the urgent call to be saved, and she's now mine. Sir, your services are not needed here anymore. You're fired. Then he turned to Mr. Pride. Mr. Pride, they say, Pride goeth before the fall. Well, I want you to know there's not going to be any more falling here. 
He's now in my Father's hand. He's sealed, protected, and he's there forever. His name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. It will never be taken out, Mr. Pride. You're not needed here anymore. You're fired. Then he turned to Mr. Lost Church member. He said, Mr. Lost Church member, when Jill got saved, she became a part of my bride-to-be, the church. This engagement will not be broken. What God is about to join together, no one can put us under. Mr. Lost Church member, you're not needed here anymore. You're fired. Then he turned to Mr. Good Works. Mr. Good Works, this new child of God has just come under my grace. He once was lost, but now he's found. "'Twas grace that set him free. He's free. He's free indeed, sir. You're not needed here anymore. You're fired." Then he turned to Mr. False Hope. He said, Mr. False Hope, this new child of God will fall prey to no more of your lies. His hope now is based on nothing less than my blood and righteousness. You're not needed here anymore. Sir, you're fired. And then he turns and he says, listen up, boys. I suffered, bled, died, was buried, and rose again when victor over the grave, death, and hell. There is no death in me. I only offer life. Now, the whole bunch of you, get out of here and leave us alone and let my property alone forever. They're mine. You see, Jesus just fired six pallbearers. He put them out of business. You see, pallbearers are only needed for the dead. And Jesus fixed that problem by giving a dead boy life. Hallelujah. Jesus came. Jesus confronts. Now let me show you one last thing. Jesus calls. The verse says, look at it. And he said, young man... I say unto thee, arise. And then it says, And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. Mm. Mm. I was a little disappointed right there. Oh, I'm not disappointed that he rose up and spoke. I'm disappointed that Luke didn't tell us what he said. Wouldn't you like to know what he said? Wouldn't you? I, I would. You know, I went off to college and studied and got a, a degree in religion. Then I went off to seminary and got a master's religion. I got my D-man in religion. And one of the things I learned in all those classes was that I had a few professors didn't know much more than I knew Bless her heart, I had one old professor, he'd say, sometimes, boys, when you don't say what you think it ought to say, you ought to just say what you think it ought to say. So if y'all give me just a little bit of license this morning, would you let me tell you what I think he said when he said it? Would that be okay? Would you like that? I believe it went something like this. Hey! Hey, wow, look at here! Look at here. I was dead. Those pallbearers had me. They were taking me straight to hell. I could smell the suffering. I could feel the flame. I knew I'd waited too late. But praise God, glory to his name. Holy is the name of Jesus. He came by. He fired their sorry hides and he brought me back to life. Praise the name of Jesus. He'll be my Lord forever. I'm going to heaven. Glory, glory, glory. Now, I think that's what he said. I just think that's what he said. You know, I preach in a lot of places. And, and, and I got to tell y'all, 
Every church don't have music like y'all have. In fact, not many churches have music like you have. A lot of churches don't have a crowd like this anymore. They just have a few folks headed toward closing their doors. Dying churches. Churches have plateaued and declining. Empty pews. I think I know why. You see, I think there's a greater lesson to what I just showed you when this young man speaks. And here it is. Don't you think that it makes sense that perhaps the greater truth is all people, hear me, all people who have raised, been raised from the deadness of sin by Christ ought to testify. If you're here today and you're saved, you ought to testify to the fact that you were headed toward hell. The pallbearers had you. They were taking you inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard, to the grave, death, and hell. But praise God, Jesus interrupted your funeral procession and gave you life. And you're not telling anybody about it. We're content to come to church Sunday in, Sunday out. Some of us even Wednesday nights. We're happy to be there. We enjoy the music. We enjoy the preaching. We like to know that we're saved. We feel like we're confident we're going to heaven one day. But we're not telling anybody. We're not telling anybody. We're not telling our children, we're not telling our grandchildren, we're not telling our neighbors, not telling our workmates, we're not telling folks to go to school with us. We're just not telling people about the Master, the Savior, who's fired your pallbearers and gave you life. I pastored for 30 years. I don't know how many funerals I had in those 30 years or since those 30 years. A lot of them. Brother John and any other preachers that are here today will know what I'm about to tell you. In all those years, I had bodies laying in a casket of people who were in my church or in my community or kin to somebody in my church, or couldn't find anybody else to bury him. But they were laying in that casket, and many of them I knew, when I stood over them and preached their funeral, I knew that the moment they died, their pallbearer delivered them to hell. And it could have been any one of them. It could have been Mr. Sin. It could have been Mr. I've got more time. It could be Mr. Pride. It could have been Mr. Lost Church Member. It could have been Mr. Good Works. It could have been Mr. False Hope. And I'm quite sure many of them had more than one Paul Barry, maybe had all six of them. But they were successful in delivering 
that person to the place of death. Hell. I probably, if I thought long enough, I could make an illustration out of every one of them. But I just want to tell you one this morning. And I'll close with this. Several years ago, I preached over at Seddon Baptist Church in Pale City. They were doing these wonderful Wednesday nights during the summer, and I was a guest speaker. And I preached a message that night. And uh, they had some people get saved. And during the invitation, the pastor, Dale Foote, a dear, dear man of God, felt compelled to tell his church about an incident that had happened in his life. And I'll never forget it. Dale was the eyewitness to a terrible tragedy. He was the only eyewitness that saw it, but there was a 21-year-old boy driving a white Toyota pickup that for some reason lost control of his pickup and went down through a median and hit a log truck head-on coming on the other direction. It instantaneously killed that boy. Dale said about three, maybe four days after he had witnessed that, he was at home one afternoon and there was a, at his door. And he went to the door and he opened it. It was a woman. He said she's very disheveled. She had been weeping profusely, mascara running down her face and sniveling and crying. She looked at him. She said, sir, are you Dale Foote? Yes, ma'am. She said, sir, my boy was killed a few days ago. And the police report said you were the only eyewitness. He said, yes, ma'am. She said, sir, please, please, sir, please tell me, tell me, please tell me that between the time my boy hit that truck and he died, he had enough time to get saved. Dale said, ma'am, I don't think your son ever knew what hit him. And he said when he said that, she threw her hands up in the air and screamed out, Then he's in hell and I put him there. My boy's in hell and I put him there. And she collapsed to the ground screaming, He's in hell and I put him there. And Dale said, I got down and I lifted her up and said, Ma'am, you you didn't put your boy in hell. She said, Preacher, you don't understand. You just don't understand. When he was 12 years old, we were having summer revival in our church. And we were there that night. And the preacher had preached on hell. And he gave the invitation. And my boy, during the invitation, pulled on my skirt and said, Mama, Mama, I want to get saved. Mama, I need to get saved. And I told him, hush. And he kept saying, Mama, I want to get saved. And I told him, hush, you got plenty of time. Plenty of time. And I never let him go down that aisle. And he never. Got saved. And now he's in hell. And I put him there. Oh, she heard, Mr. I've got more time. 
Mr. I've got more time. It may be him speaking to your heart this morning. It may be Mr. Pride. It, it, it might be Mr. Lost Church member. It might be one of Mr. False Hope or Mr. Sin or any one of them. It might be all of them. But if you're here this morning, you've heard this message. It's been driven by the Holy Ghost of God. The Holy Spirit's moving in these pews through you and in you and on you. And the whole time, these demons, these pallbearers have been working and telling you, not today, not today. Whatever your need is, you need to wait. you got plenty of time. Unless you put him down and let the Holy Spirit reign supreme and invite Christ into your heart today and ask him to fire your pallbearers, you'll walk out that door lost. And if you die before you meet Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And the pallbearers are going to have a party and rejoice because they did their job. Now, every one of you here know what I'm talking about. And I'm going to tell you this. If you're here today and you're lost, you're here because you're supposed to get saved. This is your time. This is your time. You need to deal with your pallbearers today. You need to be saved. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around. The only person I'm going to ask to look is your pastor. Brother John, if you'll come join me here. I'm going to ask him to look, and the only reason I'm asking him to look is this reason. He knows you, and I don't. And I want to pray for you, and he wants to pray for you that you could get it right this morning. Now, I know in a church this size, there's got to be several people that have never gotten it right with the Lord. And this morning, you heard a message that's pointed out you're being taken inch by inch, foot by foot, yard by yard toward the grave, death, and hell. Unless you meet Jesus and let him fire that pallbearer this morning and get saved, you're going to go to hell. I'm telling you, this is as serious as anything can be, and it's the most important decision you could ever make. So I'm wondering this morning, if you'll say, I'll not embarrass you, I'll not call you out, but I want us to be bare bones honest this morning. Brother Sid, Brother John, I need to get saved. I've heard this message. I'm on my way to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. I want to ask Jesus to come right now, fire my pallbearers, save my soul. I want to be saved today. Would y'all pray for me that I could get it right? All over the room, nobody looking but Brother John and me. Please, nobody looking but Brother John and me. If you need Jesus today, you want to be saved today, and you want to pray and ask Christ to your heart, I want to ask you, just raise your hand so we can pray for you. All over the room, is there anybody that say, today is my day. I need Jesus today. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be saved. Is there anybody all over the room? Just hold your hand up so we'll know to pray. Anybody? Is there anybody today? All right. I don't see a single hand. you see a hand, Brother John? I have a hard time believing that, but I accept it. It's between you and God. You've got to answer for what you're doing today. All right, if everybody's saved, let's see how saved you are. How many of you today know somebody, somebody that you love dearly? Maybe it's a lot of somebody's. Maybe it's your grandchild. Maybe it's your child, your, your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your mom, dad, your neighbor, somebody you work with, go to school with, a friend, whoever it is, they're lost. You know they're lost. You know they're on a journey toward the grave, death, and hell. The pallbearers have got them. You know probably who their pallbearer is, and you'd love to see them saved. 
Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, as soon as we stand to our feet, I'm going to open this altar down here. Brother John, we're going to open the altar, and I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and pray by name for that person or those persons that you know is on the way to the grave, death, and hell and needs to be delivered from their pallbearers. I'm going to ask you to come and pray before holy God. And then I'm going to ask you to get up off your knees and go and see whatever you can do to get them in this meeting this week. Listen to me, folks. I believe God wants to save people here this week. I know it. Jesus died to save people. But we got to do our job. we got to get burdened about lost people. we got to get them here. So I'm asking Christian folks today to commit to get those people you love and want to see saved here this week. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you need to just come rededicate your life. I, I don't know what God's speaking to you about, but whatever it is, this is your time. Holy Spirit, move now. Continue to speak to hearts. Lord, I believe there's somebody lost here today that needs to be saved. I pray they'll come. Now, Father, in these next moments, you do something that only heaven can explain. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us? Just as I am, as we sing it this morning, would you come? Would you come?